welcome back to episode 157 of Tall Boy Radio. And we've got another treat for you tonight. We have another guest, a guest from the film industry, which I'm sure you will enjoy. But before that, we've had a little bit of good news ourselves. The good folks at Listen Notes have been in touch and told us that we are a top 10% listed podcast globally. So that's not just on their platform, that's on every platform in all of the 53 countries that we're listening to. And so thank you for taking the time to listen to us. We really, really appreciate it. And there's a couple of other guys who really appreciate you listening as well. So do you want to say hello, Gazza? Yeah, evening, guys, evening, the world. Just want to echo what Adam just said there. Massive, massive thanks to all of our listeners. It's great when you get sort of recognition for, for what you do. You know, top 10% global listens is, is great. Really looking forward to this episode. I, I love having guests on, just meeting different people, just hearing their experiences in the field that they're going to sort of talk about. So, yeah, really looking forward to this. Nice one, nice one, Dave. Yeah, welcome, everyone. Great to hear that just after a few weeks, I've been on the podcast a bit more and we're already top 10%. There's just no stopping us now. Thanks, no, everyone. I had entirely put it down to your contributions. No worries. And as I said, we've got a guest tonight, and it's a guest who's made a number of films. And when I say made films, he is, he's been the director of photography, he's produced, he's starred in them. He's pretty much done everything that there is to do in the world of films. So, Jason, do you want to say hello? Hi, yeah. How's it going? Hello, world. I'm, I'm Jason MP, independent filmmaker. Indeed, indeed. Now, I first came across you when, and I forget the name of the magazine. I used to used to big time be into horror before I had my kids, and I don't like putting bad vibes out into the house, as I'm sort of said now. So I don't watch half as many. So... I used to subscribe to a couple of magazines like Fangoria and it might have been Scream and one of them was giving away a free DVD and it was your your good self that featured in it, one of your films. Oh, that, that was that Gorezone magazine by any chance? Yeah, Gorezone, that was it, yeah. Yeah, that was it. So which film was that one that, that, that they gave away then? I believe, I, I, um, I believe there was two uh, issues that had films. One was Homemade and one was uh, Sick Bastard. They're the two that went out on Gorezone. Yeah, I remember. I remember. I, I do think I might have had them both, actually, because I did subscribe to that, that magazine for quite a while. So you've made quite a few films then, dude, haven't you? How many, how many of you are you responsible for? I, to be honest, I've actually lost count over the years. <laughs> it's, it's, it's been over 20 years and a lot of shorts and a lot of features. And there's, I've contributed to a lot of anthologies as well. And some of my films have been re-edited and re-released. So I must admit it's become such a two decades of mess that I myself am not sure the full, <laughs> the full n- number anymore. No, 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 no. So, well, they're also, I have to say as well, and we'll share a link on our website and we'll stick it on the blog post and in the show notes as well, no doubt. But your films are also available on Amazon as well, aren't they, dude? If you have an Amazon Prime subscription. Yeah, that's right. So... Amazon Prime does host some of them. Some of them are now up on the uh, Pay For channel and they've been released all around the world on various formats. And I wish there was more on Amazon, but I used to have more, but they got some got kind of banned. <laughs> so <laughs> so the, the, there's there's other ways of seeing them. Um, there's Vimeo is worldwide and there's an on-demand channel on Vimeo and that hosts most of my filmography. So there is a home for them all now with the digital era, but Amazon cracked down on a lot of independent stuff and I was a victim of their... <laughs> they're slashing oh dear oh dear oh dear oh well, well well we'll share the vimeo link then instead that's probably the best place so of all of all the films that you've made then which is the one you most which was the one you're most proud of that's a tough question really i am um, i think tortured which is also known as psychopaths is probably my most successful and known film i've got a real reputation for that and so i'm i'm quite proud of how far that that traveled because that film is uh, well over. It was about 15 years ago. It was made, and it's still. I still get like uh, feedback. I'm still. People are still discovering it. I still see sales of DVDs. So the fact that the film has managed to hold it at one and a half decades of interest, yeah, that makes me quite proud that I achieved that on quite a tight budget. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. So as you said, there, your films are micro budget. Just out of interest, Dave, guys, do you watch a lot of micro budget films or, or low budget films? obviously back you know not 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 recently sort of back in the day when we, we dabbled with some horrendous sort of some sort of videos and we, we said oh i know what we're gonna do we're gonna make a, a trilogy of various sort of films and so back in the day yeah maybe a little bit more but not not recently obviously family and this and that just just time wise i did obviously come across 
obviously did, did a little bit of research and stuff and, and looked at sort of various trailers and stuffy films and there's there's obviously a, a common theme and there's there's should we say and it was the pun you used earlier you know Amazon seemed to slash and I was like okay nice pun I like what you did there that, that was a pretty cool truce of words so but no not 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 recently if I'm honest but yeah back in the day what watched the odd bit here or there sort of things. Yeah, not 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 for me. I'm afraid nowadays, if it's not on uh, Disney Plus or Netflix, it's not it doesn't get much airtime in our house. So I think Sabotage was the last time I got any any of those kind of films. They, yeah, you see the good old days. The good old days of Sabotage was it one, two, and three or whatever it was. I can't remember yeah. what we made. But yeah. So yeah, we we back in the day when we were younger, we we had visions of grandeur as well. We had an idea about making our own film, and and to say it was nothing short of absolutely appalling <laughs> would, would 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 to be give it far more justice than it. Yeah, it I was absolutely going to say yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's sort of, I think I think everything from the casting to the lighting to the script to the direction to the acting to everything that you could possibly imagine in terms of a film. Everything was just horrendous. Not everything. Not everything. Oh, okay. We, you're going to beat yourself up now, are you, Dave? Okay. No, 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 no. We we absolutely nailed the budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we did. You mean there wasn't one? There you go. That's it. Yeah. So, so, so yourself, Jason. When you when you set out to make a film, I'd be interested to know what what is the process. Where do you start? How much time goes into sort of the the pre-production the script writing and the planning how much how much time i can tell you with us it was absolutely zero we just rocked up into the woods with a camera and made the stuff up as we went along what about your good self well tortured is probably the one that i i mentioned before is that had the most planning and i that film took probably a year and a half of my life so it was um, a good six to nine months of pre-production so i wrote the script um did a bit of storyboarding, location scouted, had to try and get all the cast and crew together, have meetings and auditions. And so that that it, it was a good nine months to the point of filming. The filming was quite hard. Uh, we, I tried to do that within a week. So I did it in a block of seven days because I've previously done films where, you know, you, you film at a weekend or you film a week here and then a, a month later. And so but I wanted to to get this one done because it's really hard to get people back and continuity. And But they were about 20 hour days as well. So it was really torture wow. in real life. And, um, yeah. and then the editing was a whole another six months on top of all of that, really. Um, so I don't know because that was a feature length, but Obviously, I've done shorts where I've been in and out or, or I've been hired in for stuff where it's been I've had stuff thrown at me a lot quicker and had to deal with it. It, it does depend. But but the, like even homemade, that was a good year, a, a good nine to 12 months of my life as well. So, so a lot of the features have been quite tediously long. <laughs> and I still I always live with those films because I'm always having to get distribution or, or, or send them or you know find a new life for them so yeah you're kind of stuck with them for life as well it was only the other year that they i remastered tortured for a blu-ray release that come out in canada and america and so i had to remaster the whole film and <laughs> do new extras so revisiting it yet again oh wow so i mean that's that's a lot of work in it that's a real yeah. labor of love what, which is the bit of the, which is the bit of that process you enjoy the most I do really like filming because I'm quite a technical person. I do like doing the cinematography and stuff because I, I, I get I get hired into film other people's films as well. So I do enjoy it. But some shoots have been really tough that I've been on in my life. And to the, it gets to the point where although I love filming. Sometimes it's nice to hibernate and edit and just sit in my little cave and uh, get on with it. But even then, if I'm involved with other people, then the, the, the pestering comes along, <laughs> the emails and the messages, of, you know, can I see a cut? Where is it? But uh, I... I, I do enjoy it all because I like writing. I, I wish I could write more. I don't have time for that. I end up, you know, the actual filmmaking side takes so much time. But I would probably say filming is the funnest part when it's not a stressful shoot. Yeah. I was, I was, I was going to ask, in terms of sort of your films, and you mentioned about trying to get people together and do it within sort of a week and stuff. In terms of the casting for the films, it is, it is that are they people that, that you go to a casting company for? Are they people that you know and effectively you can maintain the budget? How does that even work? Do you get people that would almost come and I say interview for the, for the roles and stuff? Just talk us through that process of the idea of what it, what, what it, what it would be that you would want your characters to look like and then actually is, is what they end up looking like on film, sort of what you had envisaged in terms of use of pre-production stuff. Yeah, so I 
normally I have a, a certain type, as you said, in, in my head. Of, so it's, it's trying to find someone to match that. But that that is tough. Agents can be a pain. If someone's got an agent, they're not the easiest to deal with. So uh, I have sometimes gone to people that I've known from other people's films or just been in the industry like who, who do yeah. act or they act up part time. So I've, got, I've approached that because I, I got a, already foot in the door with uh, if I think they suit the role, which has is, is, is turned out well sometimes. I have beg borrowed in the past for smaller parts from like friends family and as you said i yeah. myself being in camera i'm not i'm not a massive fan of acting myself i'd like to be the filmmaker but i've i've ended up filling roles just because of you say budget restraints and time restraints yeah. I, I can rely on myself yeah i've had some interesting interviews and, and auditions i have done some drama films there was a whole day's audition and we got the most bizarrest of people turn up for, 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 a, for a call out. I, it wasn't my fault. I, I was hired to direct a, a social drama film and the, the writer was the producer and he um he put a casting call out and there was just certain types I had in my mind from reading the script. And uh, he, he did come to, he, we had a meeting and he threw a whole load of headshots and CVs and I, I picked a few out, but him being inclusive, they invited a lot of people to this audition, which I just knew wouldn't, wouldn't fit the role. And uh, that day got quite out of hand because some very bizarre characters Characters walked through the door. <laughs> wow. And literally, yeah. were they just dismissed to almost sort of out of hand? Is that, yeah, you're not really the person we're looking for, sort of thing? Well, yeah, but one of them wouldn't leave. So <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of them wouldn't leave the building and kind of just got a bit like creepy. And uh, <laughs> you will find me a part for this. You yeah. will find me one. I'll, you need to write me into this because I'm not going. Brilliant. <laughs> So, Jason, is this is this your full time gig then, filmmaking and directing and and whatnot? Is that what you, is that full time for you? It is, yeah. I am. Um, I'm a freelance independent filmmaker, so I'm an all rounder. I, I I get hired to film and edit a lot of stuff, and then I try and do my own stuff as well. I do cover a wide range of stuff, so I've done corporate gigs like filming live events, seminars, and uh, I also amazingly I teach filmmaking as well. So I go into a. I'm involved in an academy near where I am for filmmaking, and I go into schools and run workshops and stuff like that. But yeah, all all to do with filmmaking basically is my my career. So you've got corporate events. Teaching school kids tortured. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. it's it's really awkward in the past. So I um I ended up I, I was under one umbrella and I tried to to do to break it. So I do I do have three websites because of the different videos I'm involved with and make. And I also like with Instagram, there's five accounts, one for like corporate video, one for live event video, my own main one, which is just all, all the kind of crazy film. Cause I'm a film collector as well and uh, have a lot of film in my collection and memorabilia and that. So I kind of have my own like persona that it's known and then um, other stuff. So yeah, I had to try and <laughs> try to get the right accounts for the right clients basically. So. Yeah, it makes sense. Indeed. So when you say you're a film collector as well, I've seen a little bit on YouTube of stuff that you've shared. And not only that, though, you're a big fan of the Vipco Vaults of Horror as well, aren't you? Yeah, uh, Vipco is a big part of my life. I I knew Michael Lee that, that ran Vipco years ago, and I was going to make a zombie film for them that was going to go out on that Vipco Scream Time collection. But unfortunately, uh, just as I was making it, his son got really ill and the the, the, um, the company folded, which was quite... But I still did the short film. But year, a few years ago, I uh, was sitting there thinking about all of that and uh, was annoyed that I missed a bit of an opportunity because the, 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 there was a lot of issues with making that film. So I actually tracked down Michael Lee because he kind of disappeared. But I, I found him <laughs> just because I'd known things from the past work dealing with him and so I made a whole documentary a feature documentary on on it and through doing that some of the boutique labels got in touch because he owned he was the producer of Spookies the the, the 80s classic and no one knew how to find Michael Lee and I unearthed him so then all of a sudden they uh, grabbed me to uh, to get the deal done so Spookies could get remastered and released and then obviously my documentary went with that as well so it ended up becoming a, a quite a big pet project that one Oh, fair play, fair play. It's, I mean, my, me and my brother, you know, we're, there's only a couple of years between us, but we loved those films growing up. So I think Night of the Demon, that was Vipco as well, wasn't it? That yeah. Was one, yeah, that was one of my favourites. And, you know, funnily enough, like when I talk about horror, and I used to say, I used to say to my wife, 
that, you know, watching those films when I was a kid and I was way too young to be watching them, never really, I don't think it really affected me. No comments there from the other two guys. Thank you very much. But, yeah, so I, I, I said it didn't. And I related the story about Night of the Demon and the bit where, where like, the, uh, the Yeti or the Beast, like, basically takes the, the biker's knob off. And she was like, how many years is it since you've seen that film? I said, oh, I don't know, maybe 20, but... You're telling me these films don't affect you, yet you can describe word for word and scene for scene and play for play exactly what happened in the film you haven't seen in 20 years. It's like, yeah, you might have a point there. <laughs> <laughs> but they are, they are, they are classic films. Is is that where you drew a lot of your inspiration from? And what other films have inspired you? Yeah, to be honest, because I'm a collector, and, and um, I remember when Vipco's like the the DVD. I remember when DVD launched. So when DVD launched, uh, Vipco was like the one of the first distributors to release these kind of horror films, the old band video nasties and stuff. Which is why, again, I, I used to. So that was my first real love of collecting labels. Now it's moved on to a lot of other boutiques, but they were like my introductory to it. So. I have a lot of fun films and memories from that, like uh, Cannibal Holocaust was a really big influential film, which was on the Vipro label. So that that's, and I have a big poster of that up in the house. So that, that's quite an inspiring film because of it was groundbreaking and the whole found footage phenomenon with it. And so that, that, that film stood out a lot for me and Vipco. But then also I, I love, I'm a, I'm a lover of all cinema. So I like a lot of art house films as well. And drama and stuff by Gaspar Noé he's like like for filmmakers that really kind of push boundaries and challenge and like Lars von Trier's stuff's quite uh, intense as well and I love Bram Stoker's Dracula that's one of my favorite films of all time <laughs> yeah 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 that that is an excellent film fun enough we had a guy on last week Vic Ferrari he's an author and he's a huge Gary Oldman fan you know I mean I think he's a big fan of that film as well Dave horror films you found were you a fan back in the day? I know me and Gaz used to watch a few. I don't recall you being a big fan of them. No, uh, never have been. And and ahead of this episode, I'd looked on your YouTube channel, Jason, and just having a look around there. And and there's a couple of things, a couple of questions I want to ask. One is horror for me. I always struggled to to get into it and and see the fear. And I don't I don't know if I, I struggle to see the distinction between horror and getting scared and just making you jump and i don't know from from your perspective as a filmmaker and, and a film lover where the whether those go side by side whether the horror and the fear has to have the jumping or the making you jump is just lazy filmmaking because it's it's not having that sort of fear and that build of tension so so where does that fit so yeah um I, I've personally never really been that affected by horror films like some people have. They've never really, and I watched them from a young age. But obviously, I've spoke to a lot of people. I know a lot of people that are terrified by certain films. I, I do think jump scares can be a lazy trick, to, especially if you're sitting in a packed cinema and you see everyone jump and scream. I, I don't get caught out too often on those, but I've seen the reaction, and I think that it's. To me, that's not scary. Uh, I, I find scary a film that stays with you, a film that will make you think or uh, it deals with themes that are probably more realistic and close to home. I find those sort of, that's scary to me, a film that uh, dares challenge something important. Horror, I, I like horror for a few, few reasons. Ma making horror films is an easy option in some respects because you can get away with being cheesy and crap. <laughs> like um, Horror is a market that always sells. So if I'm trying to get a film released, although I've done a mixed genre of films, horror is always one that I can push to distributors. So that there is part of that going through it. You can get away with a lot of stuff as long as you deliver the goods, like a bit of a, a bit of gore or, or stuff like that. You can get away with other stuff. Yes, I think some filmmakers, to me, to try and get a, a horror right is atmos being atmospheric. So like lighting and sound is really important, although that's really hard, especially on independent films. Sound is a tricky area, but getting really good sound and scary like music and effects and, and it's a, the, the the lighting's key performances can be good as well because some some cheap end horror doesn't always have the best performances but it's a combination of making a really solid piece of work there is a lot of horror to me that's not scary especially the the indie stuff but even the mainstream falls down the, the rabbit hole of comedy horror they put a lot of gags in so to me it's just light-hearted there's not many true films that i think are that terrifying there's a few i think like an in i don't think it's scary but i think an impactful film that's quite challenging is like the exorcist the original exorcist is a very it's a well-crafted film and um, there's not even really a soundtrack to that only tubular bells for that one little bit it's all and and yeah. that's a brave move so the fact that it's that strong without a soundtrack and People still remember that because it was so terrifying in, in that sense. Um, 
I suppose define terrifying to me. I wasn't scared, but I found it quite shocking and <laughs> intense. So it, you know, it's a similar reaction, I suppose. So it's got to it's got to be a good film in its own right, like any good film. But also, if it gives you nightmares when you get home, that's a sort of tick box where you've done your job. Is that kind of what it is? <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I mean, I suppose some filmmakers have an easier time. Like some, a lot of people are scared of clowns. That's a known phobia. So if you're making a film like it yes. or, or featuring a clown, then yeah, it's a, you know you're onto a winner already. Uh, it's have a, um, yeah, I think it's good to make an all-round good product, though, that, you know, that, that sells it together, including the editing as well. It's, it's strange, because sort of back, back in the day, you, you, you'd grow up and you'd watch your Halloween films, and you'd watch your, your, your Friday the 13th, and you'd watch your, I suppose, Nightmare on Elm Street, your, your sort of slasher, I suppose, type movies. And then I suppose the flip side to that was you'd, you'd get... And there was a film that, so obviously Poltergeist isn't a, and it, is it horror? No, probably not. But it, it's one of those things that makes you think, ooh. Like, it's not slasher as in, like, gore, which I, I grew up and I watched loads of, sort of slasher films and stuff. And they didn't, they didn't scare me. Whereas the films that challenged your thoughts and your perceptions of various things. So the one, the one I remember watching was, and I think it's banned for, for, for ages, was I Spit on Your Grave, yeah. which is... It, it's, I suppose, harrowing as opposed to scary or frightening or horror, if that makes sense. And it challenges your, your perception of, oh, oh, crikey. And you watch it, you think, oh, I'm not, not so sure I enjoyed that. It, 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 and it was that type of challenging film. Mm-hmm. And and I suppose it is a, I don't know, is it classed as a horror film? I don't, I don't even really know. Would it be classed in that genre? Is it, it like, it, like a lost footage type thing? I don't know. Yeah, no, I spit on your grave. The original is a... um. It's an, that's an interesting one, so because my, my film got caught up in that sort of thing. Um, so the the original, I I do really like that because I think it's a really well made film. Again, it's a film that doesn't have a soundtrack; it's very raw. Yeah. And I have a big canvas of that actually in front of me right now on my, on my thing, and, and I just thought that was a really well made film, although it was very shocking and and the world changed a lot. The film is a bit yeah. hated upon now because of it, but it it, it it's it's a mixed bag because it is it, it it became a video nasty. And it was um, the original title was supposed to be Day of the Woman, which was more empowering. But again, this is distributors, which they've done to me. They changed the title to cash in on, uh, you know, I Spit on a Grave just sounds more sellable and more like I want to see this trash. Film. Which I know the director hates that title, but the film, it is classed as a horror, but it's like a real life horror. And, yeah. and the whole subgenre of rape and revenge films. And I, I, I grew up on a lot of I, I, I the video narcissist was a quite a big deal of me growing up I, I used that as a collector's list and the films to seek out and I spit in your grave have such an impact it kind of influenced tortured a little bit right. so my film yeah. tortured actually has very similar uh, has a big similar scene in that and I knew that was going to shock people and annoy people and I was going to get but the, the remake wasn't on the cards at the time so when I made my film there was no announcement and then while my film had been finished and I was trying to get distribution the remake came about of I Spit on Your Grave and so the distributor jumped on the bandwagon because a review was done for my film saying it's I Spit on Your Grave meets Dawn of the Dead <laughs> and, and they but they shoved that on the case and they actually made a very similar case with half the silhouette of a woman standing there looking behind. So it literally, and I didn't yeah. know this was not my doing, but they actually ripped the eye spit in your grave case off on my film and pushed that through, which I do believe that probably drove quite a lot of sales and actually did get my film more notorious because it was, it rode a little bit off the back of the eye spit in your grave. Uh, yeah. Sort yeah. of still, the, the original is still cut to this day in this country, although it's available, it's still censored slightly. So a film yeah. made in 78 yeah. is still getting, <laughs> and it's yeah. still, cut up although my film is also uh in trouble in the uk i couldn't get it uncut in the uk myself. <laughs> is that right so yours you still the full version is, is not available in the uk of your film yeah i had a lot of trouble so um to be honest i knew i was writing quite a, a shocking script i on purposely was and it was years ago so i was a lot more of a, a crazy younger filmmaker going i'm going to shock people and, and i thought that was harder to do because a lot had been done so there's a lot of films that have already been and gone so i tried to up the ante thinking i'll but things that i didn't expect happened so I made the film and we screened it. There was a premiere in London, which there was a few that walked out of. <laughs> One of the main actors brought some friends and some girls with him and they left. and uh, was quite offended. So that 
that was the start of people I, I got mixed reviews like people did like it but then the people were like that's too far that's too much I, I knew I'd have trouble in the UK but I, I sent it to a distributor that was like linked with the the golden gates of Warner it was like a little sub label that was gonna they normally do straight to DVDs and they rang me up quite stressed out saying the dialogue was bad they actually they, they, they so I had to I had to cut the film and some of the actual dialogue conversations they said it was too graphic what they were talking about and uh, so there was a cut version and then there was a really heavily cut version and then there is an uncut which apparently still got into trouble the other year when it got re-released the distributor without me knowing did a cut version for like Walmart and Amazon and the uh, uncut version was very it was kept exclusive to their website because they still said they were going to have trouble selling that title. Like, right. so. there you go. There you <laughs> go. On that on that point of being caught, uh, this is my second question to you. Really, that when I was talking with my family, so it was my my kids, teenagers, and uh, my mother, my brother, and my, my nephew and niece. And I was telling them I was coming on this podcast um, with with Jason MP, and he's, he makes horror films. And Alice, my daughter's in, in not really into horror films, but she's into true crimes and things like that. She said, "Oh, I can come on to it." And my my nephew says, "What sort of films?" I said, "No, it's horror." And and I've seen that on YouTube. She's got snuff movies and things like that. And he says, "And you want Alice to go on that?" I said, "Well, why not?" He says, "Do you know what a snuff movie is?" I says, "Isn't it just dead people?" He says, "It's a bit more than that." So, <laughs> it, so, so if it, I, two definitions. Life lessons. Yeah, well, too definitely. If you could, let, you know, explain to me to educate me, because I don't really know what a snuff movie is in 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 the the broader sense, as opposed to what you labelled on your YouTube channel, and also you, you use the term video nasty. I don't actually, know what that is either. So, be interested to know what those two things are. Right. Yes. The the, the video nasty is basically in the uh, mid eighties. There there was a boom of videos in the late seventies, early eighties. Uh, video became a big thing. Everyone was getting them in their houses, and it wasn't regulated. There was no rating system, so anyone over eighteen could pretty much buy anything. That was getting put out, and garages were selling them, and corner shops everywhere had these videos and there was a lot of distributors and, and actually vipco was around at this time as well on the video market and they kind of caused this controversy they put driller killer out with a guy's head getting drilled on the front cover and good old mary whitehouse who uh, was quite the campaigner for uh, you know silencing things uh, these these videos were getting quite the titles like i spit on your grave was changed for that title they, they, these titles were getting notorious there was a lot of talk about these films and in the end it resulted in a rating system being invented for home video the bbfc kind of got more power the video recordings act was passed and they basically had to reclassify every film that had ever been made but due to this but they they picked on a certain amount of video now what became the video nasties there were 39 films out of what they gathered that were actually prosecuted that become the DPP list. So they actually successfully prosecuted them for being obscene. Now some of these films are rated 15 and a lot of them are all back out now. But at the time, they the politicians said that they were upsetting dogs. Uh, they were they were resulting in violence and people getting driven mad. And they, they were very worried about the damage these videos were having on people. So... They be, they, there was a group of films that became the video nasties and a lot of them are like Cannibal Holocaust and Furox and Zombie Flesh Eaters and all these, a lot of Italian ultra gory films were caught up in this and they became a bit cult status to be honest some of these films are quite crap now that they, but they've become so infamous because of the video nasties they become cults in their own right and then the snuff genre which ironically there is a film called Snuff in the Video Nasties that's a whole, I'm quite <laughs> I'm quite I know a lot about snuff films because I, I, I focused a lot on violence in the media in my film and media studies. So I actually quite hot on this subject. And it's um, I've had a lot of arguments with people about this because actually, truthfully, a snuff film, which there's never been a reported case of a real snuff or actually anyone being arrested for it. So it's a bit of an urban legend. I'm probably sure it's happened, but there is actually no actual case to actually qualify for a snuff film. You have to you have to be you have to film. You have to shoot a film where someone is actually uh, raped and tortured for real on camera and then it has to be distributed to a paying audience and and that becomes a snuff film that's actually no one's ever been arrested and tried for that it's actually never a, a known thing 
But the film, which was called Snuff, bragged that it was real. It wasn't real. But the, the marketing campaign is that there was a real murder on it. And it got released in before the, the rating system come in. It became a very hot film. There was an investigation to see if it was real because they thought it was. It, it was and, and then so there was a whole subgenre born of snuff film. They're really fake snuff films. So, But there's a lot of misconceptions, really, in, in the world of film. If you say it's like a fake snuff, they just expect like a torture, a torture movie, like Hostel, but found footage style so it's normally like it comes across as a homemade movie with normally a woman tied up getting tortured and that was quite a big thing in the mid noughties like 2004 to 2010 you know you get like you get like fashions with films you get the zombies around for a while then you had the torture porn of like hostel and saw and stuff and those snuff films boom then and then it goes into your kind of more like ghostly horror and it it always does a circle it will probably come back round in a few years but it's it's a uh but it is a misconception and again a lot of films i've made come back to haunt me because there is a new generation that a little bit they're not so up on the nasties and the snub they don't always quite know the history anymore and so they just see these crazy films that you're responsible for but they're actually quite tame and silly some of them to be honest yeah those those video nasties are films like you say same as yourself i i grew up watching so like the one that gaz mentioned there i spit on your grave the one for me really the resonated which i thought was probably better than that was last house on the left obviously which you know wes craven and sean s cunningham's first movie together Uh, and i and i found i found that fantastic and quite unnerving at times there's you know some of the acting in that is 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 ultra realistic but they some some of the films that actually got banned one of the films that got banned amongst that by mary whitehouse was the greatest little whorehouse in Texas, which is a Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton film, which accidentally got picked up on it. But someone had seen the title and thought, no, 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 we're not having that. And then actually it turned out to be a musical featuring Dolly Parton and Burt Reynolds, which is a very, very different thing. So some of those movies there that we've just mentioned, I spit on your grave, like I say, obviously that's inspired some of your movies. The Exorcist you talked about, which for me is one of the scariest films. It's, it's unnerving, and like you say, some of the cinematography in that is phenomenal. The bit where he walks into the room and he, rather than it being the girl on the bed, it is his dead mother. And it's filmed in an icebox, isn't it? So you can see their breath. And I just remember that. And like you say, no soundtrack, just the silence. And it is really, really uncomfortable. When you watch these films, do you think, are you, are you watching it and taking it and enjoying it? Or you think, well, how did they do that? How did they do this? Are you, are you analyzing it? I am, and to be honest, I did it from a young age. I do try and sit back and enjoy and watch a film, and I, and I do, but I always do. It's always ticking in my head, like, why did they shoot it that way? That's what kind of got me into film, you know, interesting choice of camera shot, you know, interesting edits. And so however much I try to switch off, I am constantly analysing, you know, like, uh, why have they gone in that direction? You know, what's the hidden meaning? So, yeah, it's uh, you can never really switch that off once you start. Oh, I bet. I bet. And what with your films, then? Which which scene have you done where you thought you you've jotted it down maybe like six months before on when you're writing the script and then you've gone to film it and you thought I have absolutely nailed that is exactly how I envisaged it have you got have you got one scene that sticks out in your mind that is exactly how you wanted it to turn out I sort sort of I'm always critical of my own work but there is um again going back to torture that that was if you look at my script that I wrote before it that is almost identical. It's the only time I've done that. I tried to, but that's the only film where I actually the script to, from page to screen is, you know, is, is spot on, really. I'd still like to tweak it if I ever got a chance, that, but it's the closest I've ever come to, you know, how, how I did envision it on the best that I could. Yeah, fair play. And are you, are you working on anything at the moment? Yeah, I am. Um, I'm editing a film called The Bleed, which is an art house horror film, uh, which is I shot last year. So that should be edited. That should be finished soon. And I have actually uh, done a short film called an autistic film, which is playing at the festivals at the moment and just picked up an award. And I am hoping to that that was the start. I did, my my idea is to make that a bigger drama film, which again, I'm working on trying to expand and yeah, hopefully can get shooting that this year. Yeah, I'd seen that. Do you do you want to tell us a little bit about it and a little bit of the inspiration behind it? Yeah, so um, I I've had the idea for a few years, and it was trying to get a film off the ground could be quite challenging. Then the last few years, I've been trying to like, balance it with like work and like the pay gigs and um, brings in the better stuff. But I 
I wanted to make a drama film and I got an opportunity to make a short on film, which I've not done for ages, actually shooting on Super 8 Real. And I had a producer that he gave me, he he helped me get it going. He, he did a bit of funding. Uh, this this guy called Martin W. Payne. He actually is quite a, it's a supportive guy. And he, he um, I thought, right, I'm going to use the opportunity to, to make a short version of this idea I had. So at least I can, just so I can at least stamp it, IMDB it and say that, you know, before anything happens, I, because for two years I've been going on quite quietly to people going, oh, I'm going to cast you in this, I want to do that. So I, I managed to at least do a short, which gets the word out there and stamp that, you know, this is something I'm doing. And I, I the, the short is okay, but I, I, I have so many ideas I want to put into it and expand it, but it essentially is the first film that, features autistic people made by autistic people and actually deals with the subject of autism properly rather than the misconceptions that are in film and tv which yeah, is massive of. and it is quite close to home because i myself am, am autistic which shocks a lot of people and it and i've had a lot and uh, i've had a lot of issues with prejudice and people not understanding it and so i'm like my film is trying to actually highlight uh, a lot of these unanswered questions so it was, it, it's actually quite a personal pet project to me and uh, it's it's quite different as well although I am known for horror and I did do a hell of a lot of horror when I was younger but I have done a lot of drama as well but some of that's also been mixed up because some of it was in mixed I'm a mixed genre person I've mixed a lot of genres of blended films some of my later filmography although I always have a little route to horror I I have gone into a fair bit of drama and other, other stuff I've worked on and this is quite a but this is quite a friendly drama as well if I'm honest so it's quite a I don't have to hide this one as much. It's quite. It's got a bigger audience, which is also good. I can push it a lot further. No, no but, zombies and those necrophiliacs in that. Then no. <laughs> it's quite a clean cut film. <laughs> you just mentioned there, Jason, that uh, you, you, you use the word to don't have to hide it as much. Does that is that like all the all the? It's harder to shout about the other films because of your other career interests. But is it also the subject matter isn't going to get onto ITV? or BBC One necessarily? I mean, is have you got ambitions or have you actually been on sort of mainstream TV with any of your dramas? Was that an ambition or was it done already? So when I was younger, I, I did a lot of work for the uh, TV studios. I actually did a bit of work for Disney as well and stuff. I actually won a best film for a short zombie film when I was working at Disney. They weren't overly impressed at that. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right. Um, I, I was naive when I was young as well. So I, I didn't, the world was changing when I was first making films there was no Facebook or Instagram or anything like that so I I was having to like send video VHS masters out and stuff but to base I, I do I've, I'm proud of all what I've done and I try and push it but the last few years where the, the world was changing I got banned off YouTube for six months um, I've had several strikes on Facebook strikes on TikTok all to do with my film trailers film posters even and I was like oh, all right this is actually uh, <laughs> you know, it was getting I, I was losing a lot of stuff so I I, I tried to sense and rein it in a bit because obviously I didn't want to. <laughs> I, I'd, built, I'd spent years building up accounts and 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 I've got fans that had been very loyal and following my work. I didn't want to like lose all my online presence, so I um I thought it's. I felt like I was having to try and you know be very selective on the images and trailers I was using for my films now uh, and some of the festivals because I'd had some feedback and there'd been screenings of walkouts. I was very selective on what I sent where because I didn't want to. <laughs> I didn't want to keep getting walkouts or offending or I'd been rejected from one local area. They wanted to play one of my films and a local council banned it, so they couldn't even play my film at a festival. So that so I've tried to. Uh, <laughs> I have tried to do stuff that won't. I won't, I won't have to face those problems with because obviously being a filmmaker I do like to get my work out there and shown to an audience <laughs> having these like battles of um and and being in the UK I like to get released but saying that there was a film I co-produced last year and I shot and edited and that gets released next month on Sky Store and iTunes and all of that so that's got a much bigger platform and is hitting the bigger platforms like I wanted fortunately and again that, that that's a British crime drama and it's you know I'd probably say a fifteen at most, so it's quite you know, again it's not it's not too bad. What's that one called? Uh, Legacy. It's called Legacy. Legacy. Sorry, guys. No, I was just going to say. It, I mean, throughout your so filmmaking sort of career as such, and and I know you've mentioned you've you, you've got a couple of upcoming to projects or stuff, but has there been or is there a labour love that you really wish you've had the opportunity to shoot that you haven't yet and it hasn't quite materialised? Is there something that you think, you know, I really, really, really want to make this film or I really, really, really want to make 
this documentary or this whatever it may be that for whatever reason that either the, the cast or the budget or the timing or whatever it is you know you've been involved in other projects you know i'm just curious is, is there something just sitting there in your mind thinking i have to get this done this is the sort of film i want to make and i have to get it done yeah, that, that, a little bit my my autistic film. I want to make the feature drama version of that. It's yeah. been sitting there for a few years, and I have got so many ideas, and it has been time restraint, and and it has also been hard getting cast. But I, it is, I'm determined this time. I'm now I've got the ball rolling. I am determined to do it. And and as always, I would like, I would like to do a kind of bigger action film with more more stunts and more kind of you know car rolls and that. But that's down to, again, a lot of uh, budget restraints and raising funds. But I I'm. I'm quite a fighter. I still pursue. I'm not going to, I will yeah. keep fighting until I kind of get there. Fair play. Fair play. How, how hard is it then to go out there and actually raise finances for a film? I mean, I'm, I, you know, especially now when we know like purse strings are a little bit tighter, it must be quite challenging. Yes, it's extremely difficult. I've had private investment before myself. Um, I've been hired and worked on other films where it's a mixture. They've, they've had producers that have raised a bit of money, but again, that normally comes from several places and investors that want to return technically, which is also a gamble to, to get a return from indie film. And then there, I have worked on some stuff that has fortunately had a bit of funding. Sometimes it's come from the arts councils, like with the lottery funding and that, but that is really hard to get because you have to tick so many boxes and jump through so many hoops to, to hit their criteria. You almost lose what you were doing and you lose control because although you might get your film made or work on it you're not allowed to edit it you're not allowed the final cut say so you you do sell your soul a little bit with that and then there's beg borrow and steal method which i've ended up doing myself and distributors again i've i have been fortunate to have advances before where they, they have gave a bit of an advance to make uh, if they're releasing it royalties and buyouts are also another these are all kind of very controversial areas of filmmakers because it's it's a forever changing world especially with digital now because physical media is really dying and, and digital film is bigger than ever and is being received but that you're not getting as much back from digital as you was physical uh, although there's less overheads for the filmmakers themselves it's quite a it's a it's a double-edged dagger really it's interesting times i'm curious as to where it's going to go if i'm like because uh, I, I'm a big collector and I've, I've grown up with physical media, but I have noticed, especially some of the some of the teaching I've been doing and talking to people, they're, they're all just streaming. Uh, even cinema is quite quiet yeah. these days as well. It really is at home streaming, which is quite shocking to me. Yeah. Funnily enough, I, I had a huge DVD collection. And when we when we redid the lounge, the wife said, literally, it's got to go. You know, you've got a music magpie in a lot of it, which... Some of it was easier to let go of it than than, than some things. You know, I, I, I every now and then I think I get pangs because they aren't the stuff that I like. I used to have like the box of the band, those sort of DVDs. They aren't available. You know, you you can't just stream them anywhere, and it's a it's a bloody nightmare. And that's and that's that in itself is costly itself because you can't. There isn't just one streaming platform where you can get everything that you want on it. And that's this is my pitch. If anybody out there is listening to it, something like Spotify, but for films. You know, where you get everything, literally everything. You pay one fee and you can watch whatever the hell you want because that that needs to happen. It's 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 daylight robbery. It is daylight robbery at the moment. So just to take you back then, sorry, before I get my eye horse again, Legacy, the, the, the film the film that you're making, because there's some big names in that as well, isn't there? There was, the, there was one of the guys, I was watching the trailer earlier, I've been, I've been off work today, I've got fortunate to get a bonus day off. I say fortunate, my little lad wasn't well, so I had to take the day off and I'm working Friday, now he's dead. But yeah, <laughs> but the, the film Legacy, I was watching some of the trailers for that, and there was a guy in that, so I recognised from the world of crime himself. How did, how, how did you find working with him? Uh, yeah, Dave Courtney is in. Yeah, I'd, I'd worked with him before. He's quite a character. We actually went to Camelot Castle and filmed that in London, the, the infamous Camelot Castle with the firm. Wow. Um, so they're, they're one of the when I worked with him before, it was a similar situation. One of the filmmakers, well, one of the people involved in the production, got hold of him, or like they knew someone who knew him as well, and he's quite accommodating and. Uh, he because uh, he's got quite the filmography of acting as well. We not we not only got him in it we actually went and filmed him at his place to accommodate but then it gave us the location and we were able to to use as some of the some of the sets and obviously that really helps the film as well the fact that he's in it because that straight that, that's what helped push it into the further distribution realm it was good fun also challenging <laughs> so it's, uh, 
<laughs> there, there is some uh, stories on some of those shoots that can be told. <laughs> but but I'm I'm guessing you're not willing to share them on a podcast. <laughs> Maybe not, not all of them, possibly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Oh, it's something I, I wouldn't mind to be a part of. I'm not. I'm not gonna lie. Actually, that is one of the things I was gonna say to you. If ever you need three extras, you know what I mean, one of your zombie movies, because you know it wouldn't require that much makeup for myself. That's, I tell you what, I'll be up for that. I'll be. Where, where are you, is, dude? You think all Go. I'm thinking is just you, 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 you're you're ordained, so you know if ever you need, you know, a, a, an I'm actual ordained. practicing sort of, you know, person of the cloth, you know, to to star in a whether it's a, a, a spooky horror or whatever, you know, you, you can get yourself all all decked out, can't you? you you'd be good for that, what you, dude? Uh, yeah, if if, you, if if any of your films call for a genuine vicar, I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> He's very quiet oh, on this one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, that's disgusting. He's thinking absolutely no way. <laughs> Jason, I'm just, I'm just interested. You were talking about budgets a while ago and how difficult it is to raise money. So, I, I've got no idea what it would cost. So, if it was a, I say, a 60 minute film you were making, and let's say you didn't have the uh, car crashing and chases, which I guess is where it starts to get really expensive. Uh, what sort of money would you have to raise in order to make that that kind of film that's about an hour long? Uh, easily a few thousand, to be honest, even for quite simple stuff, especially if it's feature length. I mean, distributors like you to get to an hour and a half. Really, they like to push for that length, even if you're milking some walking scenes out, which I've done, and, and slow title crawl, uh, scrolling. But you can... I, my, most of those have been a few thousand pounds to be honest a similar one was about 50k 50k yeah, and that was a straight laced drama 90 minute film with, with again just a kind of lot of sets and talking but quite minimalistic in some respects I, I, that surprised me actually i thought it'd be more than that i mean is that including like paying for for yourself and your and, and your actors and your cast is it is it that seems like not a lot of money to me no, not not if you make it go far. So fortunately, I own a lot of the equipment, which is a massive cost uh, taken off because I freelance and I get hired to film and edit. All the equipment's kind of included for me, so I haven't got to worry about those costs. Which that that makes a huge difference because if you was having to rent all the equipment out, then yeah, that, that it would it would skyrocket. Uh, and with time, it ideally there's never enough time. That that's one of my biggest enemies. You'd always want more time to film, but you can if you're really. If you're really fast moving and you're trying to keep it simplistic and you're doing long days, like uh, working people longer than they should be on a, on an 18 hour day, then you can get through it in a, in a few days rather than a few weeks. So it's just about condensing, uh, condensing everything to try and make it feasible. Otherwise, it, it's, it's one of those hard situations where if you don't do it, you just won't. If you know, if you keep trying to hold out for more money or trying to make things work, you, you, in the end, I've got impatient myself, grabbed it and gone, we're just going to start. <laughs> we're going to just kind of get it shot. Or it's not going to happen. I think you mentioned in, in, I think that's right, in one of the clips on YouTube, or it might have been I watched an interview, I think you'd done. You said that one one film you'd made it completely in, was it 72 hours, start to finish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah which seems uh, crazy to to go from nothing to finished film in 72 hours so i've done a few of these kind of mad things actually which people probably don't believe so i the 72 hour one i did i did last that would have been uh, just over a year ago that was for a challenge initially we um i got i got coaxed into because uh, i've been doing a lot of drama films i had a group of close friends that are wanted me to go back to my roots and they entered a film festival and competition to where you're given a, you're given a, a theme and you have 72 hours from where you have a a, a meeting to literally submit this master that's going to be screened at the festival and so it, you know all, all rules are off you literally like they set the time and you've got to go and it can be anything it could have been like a short film ideally it's got to be like a crazy uh, it's it was called sick and wrong the, festival it was supposed to be like a, a throwback to video nasties which is why they, they coaxed me into doing it and so they unleashed my wild side and i i sat there all night thinking of the concept and how i could with what what themes i was given how i could work it in and i came up with an idea that i thought i could execute as a feature which was ridiculously ambitious but i i thought i know how i can do it we had a location we had a whole house we could use and i thought right i, I went there early i went around to every room set the lights i preset everything 
and I just ran like a James Cameron tyrant that day and <laughs> marched everyone around and I shot a whole feature, edited it the next day because I was shooting to the edit really tightly in my head because I was doing both the filming and editing and I managed just in a nick of time to, it was an hour and three minutes long, full, came in as a feature film and, uh, but I was, I, you know, I thought that was quite impressive, but it's because I've got form on that. I'd made a feature in a day before where the editing took about a week, but the filming I managed to get in a day. It was a, it was a prison drama film, all set in a prison cell. The way I got away with that is I did twelve long shots. So I was moving with a little rig on me, like a bit of a steady cam, and I, we just played it out. So there was just twelve shots initially. It was like a theatre play, so there was four actors in it, and I was moving with it. It was still challenging and quite a long day, but managed to do it and that's 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 pretty pretty impressive yeah. to be fair to, to manage to do that just to have the creative side the storytelling side the technical and directing and the editing and to put all of that together i mean that that's some talent that is mm. well it's it's, it's interesting because um i've worked my balls off for some stuff and you know you get little reward whereas that film what i shot in 12 shots that's one of the biggest selling films i've ever done and get <laughs> So, yeah. <laughs> the, the kind of stupid experiment that was a bit private ended up becoming quite notorious so you, you're talking there as well you mentioned as well about reviews and and we get it ourselves obviously as a podcast you know you get feedback and it's lovely to get the nice feedback but we also we also get the negative feedback as well and i'm not gonna say it's lovely to get it but it is useful because we can then work on it you know we've rechanged our format just recently based on some negative feedback that we got we looked at we said actually do you know what that does actually make sense we will we'll take that on board for yourself what's it like when you get though when you get a bad review on one of your films do you take it personally or do you look at it in, in the cold light of day and think yeah they might have a point now I, I must admit when when i was younger i used to get quite hurt by some uh, feedback uh, obviously i knew i was going to get certain reviews but when when the world got smaller and my films are getting more out there there was a lot of uh <laughs> there was a lot of negative and bad that come with it because there was people watching the film comparing it to like transformers at the cinema big blockbuster movies you know and i'm thinking i'm not in that league or uh, you know i i want to be or I, i've been involved with stuff but my my personal little film here is nowhere near on that on, on that level so they they were being really critical of everything i felt like <laughs> even though i'd worked for years and tried my hardest so and it, it got me down quite a lot thinking how can you know i can't i can't make it like that good on on little um so, but then I, I, I learned that, you know, every filmmaker gets that. The more I was into film and film reviewing and critiquing it, even the biggest and best films get negative. So I was thinking, oh, you know what, it, it, it just happens. And I, if there is something constructive, I, I will listen. But to be honest, sometimes I know myself. I know it's not great and I know the flaws and I, I myself want to go back. But there has been some ridiculous ones, like personal attacks I've seen. And I, I don't know why, if it's just haters or that. But they are reviews, when, but people get mad like, I need to be slapped around the face of a camera and things like that. I've read myself on on Amazon reviews about me, and I'm like, well, I don't know these people, so, so some of the reviews are less than helpful. But I did learn to embrace them, and I've shared them. I have like groups and Facebook pages, and I'll actually put the reviews out there because sometimes people actually said, oh, they want to see the film now, even if it's crap, because it, it makes them curious if it's that bad, they want to see it. So it does me a favour sometimes. Funnily, funnily enough, there was a pub in Crew very near us, and there was one guy. He, and obviously, he took exception to it. So it, cra- it was a craft beer place, so the beer is a little bit expensive, and he, t- and he took exception to that. And he used to, he used to absolutely pan him almost on a daily basis on like the different the different places that you can do, like TripAdvisor and what have you. And they used to take his reviews and put them on the back of beer mats. <laughs> <laughs> So you go, you go in there, and you got his review on the back of the beer, man. That's it. You know, it just said it all, and I thought, you know what? Fair play to you. Fair play. That's the right way to take it. Yeah. One of the things I was going to ask you, Jason, was it, we've spoken a lot about budgets and the, the the issues that you've had with raising budgets and this, that, and the other. If if I suppose it's a million dollar question to a filmmaker, if budget was no was no option, and you were able to go out and and get what it is that, that you wanted would that change the type of films that you would make would, would you make similar films how, how would that affect what you do as a filmmaker i would i would indulge myself on the shoot so i, I would actually set up better shots if not and i would i would take my time more and get like classes more perfect shots whereas sometimes without budget and you're panicking 
you, you film to cover yourself. So I've gone and filmed several the scene several times just so I know I can edit it together. If I had the budget to play with so I could get a better set or that, then I would actually, you know, I'd, I'd make it much more craftsmanship, really. So okay. uh, yeah. I would still like to explore the themes I explore. And I am happy with what I do. But yeah, I, do, I, I would like to just make that whole vision better. And I feel like I could sell it more because I'm... I'm really into my visual technical storytelling and obviously on a, on a budget sometimes you feel like you're restrained because you don't want to show too much of something kind of budget sometimes because it might look cheap or the set or the yeah. prop might you know if you linger too much you'll start seeing the cracks interesting one then when you say about the props i was watching one of your films the other night and i, I, I watched zombie lover the other night just i thought great title you know mm-hmm. and i watched it with a wife i thought she's not going to want want to watch necrophilia the lustful dead you know what i mean that's the one i wanted to pick but i knew she was i knew i knew i'd be pushing me luck so i stuck zombie lover on and some of the guns in that look really realistic don't i'm not planning on holding up a post office or anything but like where where do you pick up stuff like that from uh they they were blank fires (laughs) and uh, the um the producer actually had those they were they were uh, existing props he had from another film and uh, a few i've noticed a few filmmakers that i've worked with that they've gathered props up over the years and they literally have boxes of them and he happened to have quite a few weapons from um, an action film he had been involved with many years ago which was very handy so he was able to bring all these to, nice. to be honest when 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 i did torture the two henchmen in that have they, they have handguns on them and knives and stuff they're kitted up we'd had a very long day like been it'd been 18 odd hours so far and we'd filmed all the hard stuff so I said, oh, we'll, we'll, we, we'll grab some food on the way to the next setup and stuff. So we stopped at a fast food restaurant on the way and they, they went in there with me. So me and the producer at the counter were these two actors who were still in their costume and still quite in the zone. And one of them plays quite a nasty guy. But what I didn't realise is he obviously he still had his gun on him. We hadn't de-armed him. <laughs> and he, he, he needed the toilet and he's gone in there going, like, you know, where's, where's the toilet? And he said round there and he um the the guy looked a bit shifty behind the counter and so my actor's gone to the toilet and the door was a bit wedged and he's like pushing and banging it and, he, and I, I don't know he, i think he was tired and a bit in character and he come across quite stroppy and he's going what's going on with this goddamn door why won't it open and i noticed the whole restaurant had gone silent like all the kids and the parents are sat there and I, I, I'm quite observant, and I was looking around thinking, something Kent, right here. And, and the guy was panicking behind the counter, like, getting the door open for him. And I realised that he's, like, throwing himself around. His jacket kept moving, and you could see this hand, like, real gun on him. And a knife. <laughs> everyone was, like, on the tables. And we were ordering food, and I said, I, I noticed it. And I said, right, to the producer, let's just throw the money, get this food, and let's just get the hell out of here before they see what car in and where we are. And, uh, they quickly was throwing all the food at us. We threw him a note. And when he came out the toilet, we, we whisked out of there and we were away. And so I was thinking we're going to get, like, into some serious trouble here. <laughs> Jesus. And I, I had another one. On, on, on Tortured, we were filming on the side of a road. There was a, a scene where the guy's getting roughed up. And I didn't really... It was a bit guerrilla. This this was a pickup day and I was just trying to get it done. So I hadn't really got permission to be there. And I didn't really think much of it. But even... Because there's two cameras. There's a big boom. It's obviously a film shoot to me. But either way, people have drove past and phoned the police that someone's getting like <laughs> up on the side of the road. And just as we had finished and we're pulling out, the, 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 a cop pulled in and asked what we were doing and i realized that i had a whole car full of guns samurai swords <laughs> and i thought i can't explain this like, I don't, so i'm gonna get into trouble so luckily i managed to blag that it was a student film from my old college which was down the road then i gave him my tutor's name the phone they didn't search the car because i was sitting there for 10 minutes sweating thinking, <laughs> <laughs> this is the end of this film <laughs> do, do you sean on the back of that do, do you need and, and, and excuse my ignorance if you're going to use somewhere as a film set, do you need a license? Can you just rock up and film there? How does that even work? You're supposed to have a permit. Um, you are supposed to get permission and, and the authorities are supposed to be informed. And it is all supposed to be kosher. It, to be honest, a lot of people in indie worlds don't. I have filmed properly, but it gets to the point where if you need to just get something done or seen, you shouldn't, but we were guerrilla in it. We certainly shouldn't have been doing it with those props, but, <laughs> but it was out the way. I wasn't, I wasn't, to me, I weren't in a public space. We was away, but people from the main road were looking over and I, I, I guess they saw a guy just getting shaken about. Finally, but yeah, it, it's not so bad if you're not got these sort of props. <laughs> um, at least turn up many times on my film shoots where people have uh, called them in. It's, it became common occurrence for a while, to be honest. 
Fair play. Well, we like we like to keep these episodes to around about an hour. So we're roughly around about the hour mark. So what I am going to do, if that's all right with everybody, is add a bit of commerciality and give a little quick shout out to our sponsors. So if you like your olives, your nuts, your pretzels, or your chocolate-covered pretzels, head over to ollies-ollies.com, which is Ollie's Snacks. If you're based in the UK and you use the promo code TALLBOYRADIO, all one word and all capitals, you will get a 20% discount off your order. And with every order placed on their website, they donate a school meal to a child in need with the help of One Feeds 2. And while we're on that, I'm going to give a quick shout out to our socials before I ask Jason to do the same. So you can find us at Tallboy Radio on Twitter, Facebook and YouTube and at Tallboy Radio Podcast on Instagram and obviously tallboyradio.com. And if you've enjoyed this episode or any other episode that you've listened to, drop us a message and let us know and ask any other questions or any guests that you want to hear from more from, you know, shout them up. We'll, we'll, we'll get them back on again mail at tallboyradio.com is our email address so jason do you want to give a shout out then while we're doing that to your your different social medias and where people can find your stuff uh yeah jason six six films is pretty much how you find me on youtube instagram and facebook that's my tag handle on most things so uh, and and youtube has a lot of my trailers and behind the scenes a lot more stuff coming soon and instagram you can see my uh, massive film collection <laughs> the never-ending growing collection Indeed. And you still adding to that, yeah? I am, yeah. I've I've, I've peaked over 4,000 discs for sure because I've got the app where I'm starting to log and uh, I've got my letterbox list, which again, uh, I'm around on letterbox if you want to look up. And I've been, and yeah, it's going, it's gone over 4,000 now. So I own quite a few movies. Yeah, fair play, fair play. That, that, that is a few. So guys then, what we always do as well, Jason, is we always share which beer we've been drinking throughout the episode. So Dave... Do you want to get your tawdry 0% stuff out of the way? Yeah, sorry guys, it's a bit of a letdown. It's the 0% left again. And I got this, it's called Nothing Comes From Nothing, a 0.05% IPA. And it's not very nice actually, it's a bit, I don't really know it's what just, it tastes it's like. Because it's because you're lacking nice. alcohol, Dave, that's what it is. It's clearly not helping. But that that's my drink. But Jason, pleasure, absolute pleasure to to have you on and listen to it. And it's fast it's fascinating. I mean, it's not a genre I watch and I probably won't start watching it because it just doesn't really appeal to you. But listening to you, it, it's absolutely fascinating. I think what you do is pretty awesome and it's yeah, you you're obviously a very talented guy, so good on you. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean I'll I'll echo that what you know, what, what Dave just said. It's great when we have guests on. It's great to see guests that sort of follow their passion, follow their dreams and, and, and have you know, have a real passion for what they do and enjoy what they do i lo- love having um, guests on i've drank a 5.4 percent beaver town gamma ray which is um, lovely i haven't had that for a while actually and then just to put dave to shame who had the 0.0 i've had the wine bottle size of left which is 6.6 percent of absolute dreamy goodness so one of my favourite beers, so love love that drink. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And the beer I've chosen for today because it's actually the two hundredth different beer I've drank on a podcast. So, Vocation are coming up to their seventh anniversary, and they've released a special beer to celebrate that. And that's what I've been drinking tonight. And I don't know if they've been listening to our podcast, guys. They've been taking on your stupid ideas of mint flavoured beer. So, I've been drinking <laughs> a mint. Yeah, in all fairness, actually, it's a really good beer. It's a mint chocolate stout, (laughs) and it's barrel-aged, and it comes in at a a 12.2%, so it makes up a little bit for for what what Dave's been drinking. So, yeah. I I, I popped up yours at dinner over the weekend or whenever it was, and you showed me that, and I was like, mint, I like beer, (laughs) and I like mint. Why not just put them together? Because that sounds like a match made heaven. And we were like, we've always had this ongoing thing, Jason, where... It, so mint is is one of those flavors that doesn't really there aren't many mint flavored beers and and we've had this conversation on various podcasts before now and stuff and and adam uh, obviously got one i was like dude that sounds epic it's like a mint stout beer but it's 12.2 percent. so i said 
maybe you should only drink one. He's like, I've got three. I was like, all oh, right, well, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I yeah. just drank all three tonight, though, looking at him. But Yeah, I'm halfway down the third one. I've got to tell you, it's, it's, it's a decent beer. It is a decent beer. Don't get me wrong, it's a little bit like, you know, it's got a little flavour of you like eating a pack of matchmakers and drinking a pint of Guinness, you know, but a little bit thicker. But and I'm not selling it very well there. So, Jason, anyway, just just to leave with some final thoughts for us. So, first of all, I'm very excited to see the film that you're making about autism. I think that's fantastic. Yeah. It's wonderful, and it's something that we've sort of we've covered a lot of issues like this on our podcast. We do do a lot of daft episodes, but we do do a lot of sensible episodes as well. So, we'll absolutely applaud you on that one. And also, we, you know, I've enjoyed your output. I enjoyed Sick Bastard when I got it free with with, with the magazine back then. And yeah, and like I say, I enjoyed Zombie Lover the other night, and I'll probably enjoy a few more as well, no, no doubt. So, what else is on? What else have you got on the cards then for 2023? Anything interesting other than those? Yeah, I, I try and keep myself busy. I am. Um, I there's going to be a few. I think I'm returning to my roots and doing a short horror for the festivals. I I, I always get asked, although although I love horror, I try and do drama. That I do I do get pulled back in. <laughs> People love so. Um, there, there there will certainly be a few new outputs from me this year. So definitely watch out. And I, and although I'm doing the festival circuit, they'll probably end up online. I'm sure the Troma channel are putting a lot of my stuff out now uh, on Troma now, and also Redemption TV are, are putting a lot of my stuff out as well, where streaming's growing. So. And I will keep everyone updated on the socials. But yeah, there's a a lot of my work's available and a lot more is on its way this year. That's fantastic. That's fantastic to hear. So who wants to say their goodbyes first? Go on, Dave, we'll let you go first. Well, yeah, just, just echoing what I said. Really great, great to speak to you, Jason. Love to get the insights into, into indie filmmaking. Good stuff. Thanks a lot. Indeed, indeed. Gaza? I love having guests on. I love having guests on that we, we sort of, we 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 sort of enjoy having them on without really understanding necessarily what it is that they do. But then throughout the course of the podcast, we 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 get a we get a flavour for the passion. Or, and I said it earlier, the, the passion for what they do and and the love of what it is that that, that, that they do. I hope that the, that the people in the fifty three countries that we go out to, I hope that they you know they pick up Jason's films. They that they they. they you know, they watching them. Um, I'd love to have Jason back on, you know, maybe towards the back end of 2023, just to talk about maybe the success, hopefully, Touchwood, about, you know, the the, the, the filming, or the, the, the autism, autistic film, sort of, it would be amazing to to sit here and think, you know what, we spoke about it at the beginning of 2023, you've then made it, it's then been a success, come back on late 2023 and talk about the things that you've done. And so it would be fantastic to to, to, to hear from you again. It, it'd be, it's an honour just to, just to have you on, you know, as somebody that, that's made the, the amount of content that you have. It, it's been an absolute pleasure, privilege to sort of chat to you. I um, wish you all the very best of 2023. So, yeah, all the best, Jason. Fair play to you. Jason, do you want to leave us with a final thought? Yeah, no, thanks for having me. It's been great. And I'm more than happy to come back. And, yeah, I'd... Uh... If you haven't, check out my work, and I hope you enjoy. And just say, yeah, yeah, watch out for the autistic film because I am, um, I'm hoping to push that to spread a positive message for once in my career. Yeah, absolutely, and that, I think that's fantastic. It's great that you're doing that. I'll reiterate again, and you feel free to ignore it. But if you ever need a six foot five ball vicar, I'm there. <laughs> I'm available, and I don't charge you anything. So there you go. So next week we're back. We've got the boys from Illinois. We're joining up with the pub time guys. That should always be interesting because they're always a little bit controversial but i will wish you a fond farewell and say thank you very much for listening and take care <laughs>